1: All right, EJ, at long last, we are finally here. It is Bengals Day here on the season preview series, team by team, division by division, 40 total episodes, and uh, this is going to be the final, second to final one of the (laughs) AFC North Week. Tomorrow, we kind of have our macro division preview where we take everything into account. But specifically today, we are talking Bengals, and we are talking Bengals in depth Every single transaction that has been made since the end of last season where they came oh so close to winning a Super Bowl until now. And uh, a lot has happened. And believe it or not, as good as this team was to get knocking on the door of a Super Bowl victory on paper, they're even better today. So we have a lot to go over today. But before we do, my friend, how are you? What are you drinking? How's your night?
2: My night's good. I've been looking forward to this one because I'm excited about where the Bengals are headed. And for that purpose, I brought a beer. Ooh, boy. Uh, This is Founders All Day IPA Session Ale. Um, Very sippable beer because I don't want to slur while I'm talking about the Bengals. This is important stuff. Um, (laughs) And I do believe that they've gotten better. You and I both believe that and have some very positive things to say. So uh, if you're a Bengals fan and you're here... uh, you know click like click subscribe leave us a comment that all helps the the algorithm and helps us do more of this but you're gonna hear lots of things you like so just pre-click like uh in advance <laughs> trust me it's okay it'll work out
1: by the way mine tonight is uh virginia distillery company their port cask finish because i'm a sucker for anything finished in port casks
2: you're just gonna you're just gonna beat me about the head and neck with that until i just stop asking for them to i'm not out bubble. yet I'm not out yet. i got
1: to keep drinking it down. I've had it for like two
2: years now. i got to work on it. That's the only thing about you being like a thousand miles away is I don't get any.
1: (laughs) I still got some of that loose style I'm working my way through just to piss you off. Uh, Anyway, first segment that we do for every single team, as per usual, our 2021 recap where we take a look at what happened last season from a bird's eye view to kind of set up all the transactions we're about to talk about and all the draft picks we're about to talk about. They did finish ten and seven, first in the division. It was very scrappy AFC North. I think the difference between first and last in the division was like two wins, which you almost never see. But the Bengals emerged triumphant. Uh, went five at four, uh, five and four uh, at home, and then I think four and four on the road, if I recall correctly. Um, I can't quite remember what their road record was off the top of my head. But in the last five games, they went three, uh, five and three on the road. Five and three on the road. Okay, so even better on the road than they were at home. How about that? Uh, last five games went three and two, so they finished somewhat strong. But then, of course, went on an absolutely unreal run in the playoffs. And and Joey B kind of took over and, um, you know, taking down the Chiefs in overtime in dramatic fashion. And then, you know, going on that run and coming literally inches, inches away from winning the Super Bowl because if Aaron Donald did not get that sack on the last play, Jamar Chase was gone, and that would have been a game-winning touchdown. I thoroughly believe that. So this team was right there, man. They were right there. I know they only went 10-7, and quote-unquote, only, but, you know, Joey B in the playoffs, it, once he gets rolling, there's really not a whole lot you can do. So as long as they can just get to January every year, they're always going to have a shot. I think they have uh, an even better shot of getting to January this year than they did this time last year, and I'm really excited to see what they have.
2: Joey B doing Joey B things. We both predicted this when he was coming out of LSU. I called him a stone-cold killer more than once because he, if you miss him, and Aaron Donald didn't miss him, to Aaron Donald's credit, <laughs> but if you miss him, he will reset and drive the dagger home. He will do it every single time he has that mentality and he did it at lsu he even did it in his first year with the bengals before he got wiped out we saw him display that quality over and over again he did it all year last year their line wasn't fixed last year and there is no way that without his level of play at quarterback and that particular quality they get anywhere close to the success that they had last year and folks gonna find out like real quick Uh, Because all the changes we're going to talk about are focused in their weakest areas, which they only had a couple. And they worked really, really hard and in a really, really focused way to fix just those. And the overall result is going to be really scary for the AFC. The AFC is loaded. We say it all the time. There's a lot of good teams there. Like you said, in January, you asked me to bet against Joey B, a healthy Joey B. I'm not going to do it. I didn't do it last (laughs) year, right? We had to lay bets. And I was like, I'm not betting against Joe Burrow. And you're like, I don't know. it's I was like, nope, I'm not betting against him. Almost. Almost. Uh,
1: In terms of looking at the power structure at B that was responsible for drafting and developing Joe Burrow up to this point, again, another one of these very stable AFC North organizations where once you're in the family, you're in the family. (laughs) You never leave. (laughs) Duke Tobin 24th year as director of player personnel which is incredible one of the longest tenured roster builders in the entire league if not the most tenured I think he's up there with Mickey Loomis I would say because I think he even predates Belichick now that I think about it by like a year yeah Uh, Zach Taylor fourth year at head coach already I can't remember how many coaches have gone to a Super Bowl within their first three years, but I can't imagine it's very many of them. So he's in elite company there, even though I do think it was more of a, I think in terms of the more weighted side of the equation, it was probably the guys in the field rather than Zach Taylor. But I also think that he's gotten better in terms of game management since he first started out. So I'll take linear progression and a Super Bowl appearance in your first three years and call it a wash. Uh, at offensive coordinator we got Brian Callahan also in his fourth year son of Bill Callahan, one of the greatest offensive line coaches and architects of the run game to ever exist. So he's got phenomenal bloodlines there. Uh, Lou and Anar- uh, Anna Rumo, I always get I always mess up his last name uh, fourth year at DC I think he's done an admirable job um there has there's been kind of a thin, layer at the top i would say in the bengals defense in the last few years like they're starting 11 i feel like has always been capable um the second layer under that i think has been thinner than a lot of other teams but he's still churned out some pretty good defense performances so i say he's a good dc and then darren simmons 19 years coaching special teams for the Cincinnati Bengals. He is the ultimate special teams stalwart in the NFL. Been there forever and uh, probably not going anywhere anytime soon. No, we've said it lots of times during this series. If you get
2: a good special teams coach, hold on to them. They're very valuable. Uh, great structure overall. The Bengals, it needs to be said, do things differently than other teams in the NFL. They have the smallest scouting staff uh, in the NFL that's always been looked at as kind of a negative. They look at it as a positive internally within their organization. It's not just a cost-cutting move. They believe it grants them greater efficiency. And lots of people kind of laughed at that for many years. And now they've put together a roster that is Super Bowl worthy. This was not some fluke. Uh, Joe Burrow powered a lot of it, but he was surrounded by very good talent. And that is the sum total of that very small staff's uh, very large efforts over a long period of time. And a lot more people are saying, hmm, like, what's good about that arrangement now? Not just, oh, it's the Bengals. They're weird. Like, Hey, they're weird and it's working, and the NFL is a copycat league. So lots of folks taking a much closer look or a much more serious look at the Bengals personnel structure and saying, What what can we take out of that? Um, they've done it in if anything, they were a year early. If you're talking about putting your window together in a projection, they probably quote unquote shouldn't have made the Super Bowl this year, but (laughs) Joe B willed them there and they, you know, they added a very dynamic playmaker in Jamar Chase, and that combination carried them when they needed it, and they made it. Now they're not the only ones. We can talk about contributions of their defense, and Jesse Bates, and two linebackers that I liked a lot coming out, Logan Wilson and Jermaine Pratt, playing huge down the stretch. It's a lot of pieces, but it's a credit to this front front office and the organization in general that their sort of lean and mean structure uh, worked well enough to take them all the way to the Super Bowl. So that's
1: that's notable. In terms of notable assistant coaches under that top layer, a uh, whole bunch of former players and, and longtime coaches, um, I just want to highlight one and then I'll let you get to the rest. James Casey was one of my favorite Texans during his time in Houston. Special teams monster. You know, he was always like the third tight end on the roster, but really his main value was, was being a special teams demon um and then after his playing career wrapped up i i believe he was on that denver team that won the super bowl in like 2015 and then he left to go be a tight ends coach at houston and then he's been the tight ends coach under zach taylor since taylor got there uh i just want to highlight him for myself just because he he was like one of the fan favorite texans from that era just because he only got like 10 snaps a game but it was just 10 snaps of fire and fury and i love james casey i'm always going to love james casey
2: i knew he'd he'd tick off your radar as a former texan uh my favorite thing about james casey is that he didn't go straight to college he got drafted by the white Sox as a pitcher Mm -hmm. and spent three years in their organization and then decided nah, baseball's not my thing went back to college at rice became a tight end ended up getting drafted by the texans onward and sideways i guess at that point but he's ultimate tough guy uh played a very tough role uh was a fan favorite there for people that knew football and and knew what his role was and and watched his contributions other notable coaches on offense for the bengals frank pollock the offensive line coach and run game coordinator former nfl guard himself nine years with the 49ers all nine troy walters this was one that popped up i remember scouting troy walters at stanford Uh, He's their wide receivers coach, so he has a very talented group to work with. Former NFL wide receiver himself with the Vikings, Colts, Cards, and Lions. Uh, And then Brad Brad Cragthorpe, the assistant wide receivers coach. Notable because of those family connections. We talked about bloodline connections with Callahan's. uh, Brad Cragthorpe's dad was the head coach at both Tulsa and Louisville. And not to be outdone, his granddad was the head coach at South Dakota State, Idaho State, and Oregon State. So he has a thing for states. Uh, we can't but, go an episode without a South Dakota State reference, can we? <laughs> no, not not recently at least. But uh, So always fun to see that, hey, coaching is the family business, right? We got grandfather, father, and son, um, all coaching at very high levels. On the defense and special teams side, Mark Duffner, senior defensive assistant, one of those more vague titles. Um, started his coaching career under Woody Hayes at Ohio. Hmm. So that goes back a little bit, um, was the head coach at Maryland, uh, also coached linebackers with the Bengals Packers and sorry, Bengals Packers, Jags, Dolphins, and bucks before getting his current role as a senior defensive assistant with the Bengals. Uh, Marion hobby, the defensive line coach was a former all sec defensive end at Tennessee and also was drafted into the NFL. So he's a defensive end there with the Vikes and Pats. Um, Jordan Kovacs is the assistant linebackers coach for Cincinnati. He's a former NFL safety with the Dolphins. They really like safeties because Colt Anderson, their assistant special teams coach, is also a former NFL safety with the Eagles, Colts, and Bills. So uh, not the largest staff, but in terms of experience, um, especially from the
1: playing side, uh, I'd say it leans fairly heavily to that side. Yeah, it's just, it's a it's a lean and mean program in a whole lot of different ways, but can't really argue with the results at this point. I mean, nope. when you have an elite quarterback and you're making Super Bowl runs and you're doing so with without spending a whole lot of money, relatively speaking, compared to Relative. a lot of other teams, it means you're doing something right. So yep. I can't argue with the results. Nope. And especially under, uh, under the previous regime, like they were still pretty competitive and fielding pretty good rosters there even in the Andy Dalton roster uh, Andy Dalton era too so mm-hmm. uh yeah this is not the first time the Bengals have been a good team uh and they just continuously do it without spending a whole lot of money it's pretty pretty crazy
3: we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day You need Indeed. Uh,
1: Now, speaking of spending money, let's get into the free agency portion, because this is really where most of the improvement over last year and why we still think they're a Super Bowl contender comes from. Uh, Larry Ogunjobi obviously was allowed to walk, uh, went to the Bears, then got uh, rejected because of a failed physical, and now he's on the Steelers. Not entirely sure what the medical issue was that caused him to not go to Chicago, but either way... Foot. Um, foot is that what it was like a liz yeah. frank uh i don't
2: know what specific issue with his foot but i know that ryan poles and and uh, matt eberflus he was the primary target for them in free agency not just yeah. in the defensive line he was there sort of not day one but first signing was a real key as you know eberflus's defense needs a penetrating three tech and they had laser focused on Ogunjobi. Ryan Pohl said it broke his heart when he had to sit down with Ogunjobi and say, look, we can't offer you a contract because our medical staff won't pass you. He was highly disappointed. They, they pivoted very quickly to another, to another three tech, but it was not Ogunjobi. Uh, there was some thought that he would do exactly what he did, go away, get healthy, and then come back and possibly sign with the bears, but ended up
1: signing with the Steelers. So, um, yeah break my heart too larry's a really good player so (laughs) i I get it i get it um they also let quentin spain walk riley reef walk uh trey hopkins walk so significant amount of starting snaps uh for that offensive line year over year has been replaced which is a good thing this is like pure addition by subtraction in my view because this was (laughs) one of the worst offensive lines in the league. Um, Not just in terms of losing one-on-ones, but in terms of like communication and calling protections. I did a whole film room episode on it about like the source of all their sacks and they were really bad at communication in terms of how they picked up blitzes and everything like that. And I don't know if it was Burrow calling protections or if it was the center's calling protections because they had a few that played center for them throughout the season. Whoever it was, wasn't doing a great job. And there was almost zero communication skills in this offensive line. So not only were they not winning one-on-ones, but they weren't communicating. So I was all in favor of just gutting it, replacing anybody that they could, which they did. Um, Vernon Hargraves also gone. Uh, He didn't play a whole lot of snaps for them, but still notable that a depth corner is gone. And then CJ Ozama uh, got an $8 dollar a year deal with new york and i think they kind of wanted to save a lot of their cash for um for the offensive lineman that they brought in to help joe not die so overall didn't lose major talent uh but there were a couple key contributors that unfortunately are no longer there
2: this was a focused effort to clean out the one Glaring weakness that everyone saw. The I'm sure they saw it internally. Um, Commentators saw it. Weekly Uh, fans saw it. Joe was still running for his life last year. The the amount of production and the results that they were able to generate, given that offensive line and its performance, we'll just call its performance (laughs) because a good performance. That's the way to describe it. Yeah, yeah, uh, you know what they put on film was rough. And uh, if there was a quarterback of a lesser caliber than Joe Burrow there, they would have been a very bad team because of it. They would have been absolutely crippled by it. And instead, not only were they not crippled by it, they made the freaking Super Bowl with that as an existing flaw. And it Mm -hmm. it was bad, and it was repeated, and it was every week, and it was multiple times. And they still made it to the Super Bowl. So this was very much about get rid of what we don't want. And when we get down to the the third free agency section, the addition section, it's really
1: short and really focused. Well, I kind of want to do retentions and the third party additions all at once because I do think they kind of tell a story together. And as you alluded... Not a whole lot of names in terms of third-party additions, but all of them were important. Alex Kappa, Lyle Collins, Ted Karras, they are brought in directly to replace all of the guys that they let walk, uh, mainly because they're just, they're just all better. What I found interesting, though, and this was a point that I, I just saw today, was that the Bengals don't really hand out guaranteed money to anybody past the first year of a veteran contract who isn't a quarterback and I guess them and the Packers are the only two teams that that do that which I guess makes sense because you need to have a whole lot of cash on hand to put into escrow accounts for guarantees and the Packers don't have access to the same amount of money as say the Rams do who have an owner that's worth 20 billion dollars and you know the Bengals the Brown family's not not worth that kind of money either I think I think they're like five or six hundred million net worth somewhere in that ballpark so they don't have access to the same kind of cash that a lot of other franchises do to just throw you know a hundred million dollars into escrow accounts every single off season. and so they have a habit along with the packers of first year's guaranteed everything after that not and <laughs> that was a trend that i i didn't even know about till today and then i started looking at the contracts for all these offensive linemen they brought in. And it was like, one-year guaranteed salary, one-year guaranteed salary, one-year guaranteed salary. And I was like, oh, shit, that's true. And I think that ties into the retentions at the same time. Obviously, Jesse Bates being the flagship of that on the franchise tag. And the point was made today that, and I totally agree with it, why would Jesse Bates sign a long-term extension if he's – according to team policy or team trends, however you want to phrase it, if he's only likely to get one year of guaranteed money anyway, which would be the same amount as if he just played on the tag two years in a row. So play on the tag, force them to tag you again next year. If they really want to keep you either way, it's only going to be a year of guaranteed money. And maybe he would be one of the ones to, to break the trend and get multiple years of guaranteed money. But at the same time, I, I, I I don't, I don't know if he would be if that's, Like if they're not even doing it for Kappa and Karis, who are guys that are directly responsible for the life, like like livelihood of their quarterback, like why would they do that for a safety? So, you know, the point was made today is like, this is, this could be Jesse Bates last year in Cincinnati, because why would he take a deal that only has one year of guaranteed money? uh, Like all the other veterans they just signed. And begs the question for for me is, are we going to be back here next summer? looking at another retooling of the offensive line uh, if all these guys are theoretically only locked into the roster for one or maybe two years at most it's possible and with Bates
2: like the tag makes more sense uh, because you're guaranteed a raise too Mm -hmm. (laughs) like if you're tagged again it goes up it's not the same thing you can't just say oh we're going to tag you for the same amount like getting tagged for the second year comes with a premium so if they were willing to do it he'd make more money and the guarantees are the same so you're not losing anything either way if they weren't going to weren't going to keep you after one year guaranteed on a contract you signed then they're not going to keep you after one year tagging you and there's no difference the offensive line a little bit different to me you want to build that continuity you talked about it at the top communication like it's key i think it will be better this year with the caliber of players they brought in, they can all hold their own on the left side. They replaced everything from the middle to the left tackle. And they seem pretty fired up about it. They realize the the window they're stepping into in terms of where the Bengals are and that they're going to be competitive and as long as they keep Joe Burrow upright, they're all going to have a chance at a ring. They get that. So you want to keep a unit like that together. Now, if somebody performs really poorly, it's very handy that they only have one year worth of guaranteed money. Yes, you can replace them. You can go out and draft a, you know, highly thought of replacement in the early rounds if you want to, or you can go sign the other top free agent if you want to, but you want to keep that group together so that they are learning as a unit, as much as you can communicating, not having all those breakdowns that we saw last year that were responsible for a lot of the broken plays, um, some which joe burrow magically turned into gains but um, you don't want to force that on your quarterback so it'll be interesting to see how they approach it differently as per position Um, but it's a fascinating piece sort of a small factoid that really influences especially in the day and age where rookies are now getting guaranteed money and top rookies are getting full guaranteed money that's the face of that negotiation league-wide is changing so it'll be fascinating to see if the Bengals sort of dig their heels in and say nope we're not doing it or everybody says to them hey we're not going to play even rookies are getting guaranteed money now get with it
1: and and Bengals fans feel free to sound off in the comments and give me some added context to this by the way I did look it up Mike Brown's net worth is reportedly 2.1 billion quote-unquote only 2.1 billion still roughly like 10 percent of some of the other owners in the league. Um, So I think the point stands that you can't just keep throwing a hundred million dollars in the escrow accounts every year, like the Rams do. But uh, I I do uh, in terms of the scale of NFL ownership net worth, he is on the lower end of it. So I think that's probably why they don't do as much guaranteed as a lot of other teams in the league. But I I do encourage Bengals fans to sound off in the comments and give some sort of added context. Like were there any other notable non quarterback veterans that that got a whole bunch like three years of guaranteed like did AJ Green even get three years of guaranteed money I don't know that he did I just found out about this like right before we recorded and I was like huh huh that's weird and then I checked on the free agency contracts they signed this year and that held true and I was like huh okay huh. if Kappa and Collins and Karis aren't even getting it I don't know if, if Jesse Bates would but either way at a minimum they vastly upgraded the offensive line. They were already a Super Bowl team, and they did that with a terrible offensive line. I can only imagine how good Joe Burrow is going to be when he has time to throw. So uh, A-plus for free agency? That's the thing is
2: <laughs> if you look at what they did even in year one before Joe Burrow got wiped out as a true rookie, and we've talked a lot about true rookie seasons in the NFL for quarterbacks. They're generally not very good he did enough in his first year for them to know we got our guy like we need mm-hmm. to do some things we got to get him another receiving weapon we got to get him a bunch of protection we know that they go out the endless debate before last year's draft do you get him the receiver or do you get him the tackle receiver tackle receiver tackle they go receiver because they believe very strongly and rightly so as it turns out that jamar chase is a game changer so they say nope we're giving him the a a plus number one alpha wide receiver and he turns out to be worth every bit of that draft selection. They still persist with the offensive line issues and he runs for his life all year through year number 2 and makes the Super Bowl. I'm going to keep saying that. Runs mm-hmm. for his life for the entire year, gets, you know, an upgraded receiving weapon, has a very good, maybe one of the best. We were talking about this before we recorded one of the best young skill sets in the nfl if you're not putting quarterback i would say top three wide receivers running back and sure throw the tight end in there if you're not taking that personnel group for the bengals and stacking it up in the say top five league wide you and i aren't seeing the same thing because the quarterback's the most important piece but you do need a primary wide receiver and a good running back really helps so when you look at the bengals skill position set it is as good as any group in the NFL, you can debate which one is the best. Fine, that's a flavor thing. They're in the running for that. Add to that, replacing three fifths of your offensive line with three very good players. They made the Super Bowl without them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now, what are you gonna get? You know, <laughs> you, there's no reason to assume that Joe Burrow is going to get worse they put up 53 touchdowns last year and gave up 44 if you think he's not going to put up more than 53 touchdowns in Jamar Chase's second year his first year you know Burrow's first year in the NFL with a real solid offensive line protection in front of him you're out of your mind yeah
1: yeah there's really as weird as this is to say because they're coming off Super Bowl appearance there's nowhere to go but up Like if if that's the baseline of our expectations, where it's, hey, all we have time to throw is go balls off three step drops and just hoping Jamar comes down with it, because more often than not he is, or the T comes down with it. If that's our baseline and oh wait, now we can actually do like the five step drop game and the seven step drop game, and we could do all these, you know, long developing play action passes without Joe dying, it's a whole new world now. So I'm I'm super excited for that. In terms of uh, the draft, I do think that, you know, they spent most of their firepower in the draft, again, kind of restocking on defense because they're thinner on that side of the ball now than they are on offense. They use free agency to address offense, draft to address defense. And overall, I mean, especially looking at what they did in the secondary, I was very, very pleased with it. They have, again, their own scale.
2: The Bengals assess talent in a unique way in the nfl it is unique to them so you may look at their draft this year or previous years and go oh well i would have taken somebody else at this particular spot they are they have a type and they stick to that type because again duke tobin's been there a very long time almost a quarter century he understands and communicates to a very small group of scouts and decision makers what it is he wants and they bring those players back to the fold so round one pick 31 they get Dax Hill safety out of Michigan and I say safety because Dax Hill is boy he's in everything he's a nickel he's a star he's a safety one of the most versatile secondary players in this draft Great pick up top, and eventually, you know, not even eventually, this year will be paired with Jesse Bates in certain situations, probably again as a nickel, somebody that's going to be on the field, very impactful playmaker around the line of scrimmage, great in the passing game, super quick, tough, just brings a lot, so excellent pick for them at the bottom of round one. Some teams have a knack for picking at the bottom of round one. Patriots have done pretty well there over the years. KC uh, certainly has done a decent job of that. Um, it's first time for Bengals picking in the bottom of the round. In a while, they did great. Round two, pick 60. They go for Cam Taylor-Britt, the big corner out of Nebraska. Interesting choice. I a player I would have taken a bit later. Very skilled player, but again, fits their type. This is mm-hmm. a franchise that um, employed Trey Waynes. That, you know, they have a type. It's similar. Cam Taylor Griffiths it. He is really aggressive, loves to hit. I'm sure they love that about him. It'll be interesting to see how and when he gets playing time in their secondary. Round three, pick 95. Zach Carter, the defensive tackle out of Florida, who I, I don't know about you, I wanted to love Zach Carter a lot more. I looked at Zach Carter's body type and I thought, man, played at Florida. This guy's, he's just got superstar written all over him. He's got all kinds of potential. He's got length. And man, Man, look at how big he is. Wasn't even the best player on his own front, not going to (laughs) lie. No, and his tape didn't quite get there, but the, you know, there is something to unlock there that I don't think has been fully unlocked yet talk about why that is not really sure fascinated to see how he fits in to the Bengals rotation and if he can unlock some more of that because physically this is a dominating guy he is big at tall long strong fast production didn't really measure up to that it'll be really cool to see how Cincinnati develops him again a little bit earlier than I would have picked a guy like Zach Carter but the Bengals don't care they're going to take their guys in their spots and they hold true to that every year round four one of my favorite picks they made pick 136 cordell volson the offensive tackle out of north dakota state we saw him at the shrine bowl i said to you at that point this is a guy that's going to get drafted low play you know five or six years end up signing a big third contract to go somewhere be super reliable part of an offensive line everybody's going to go where did he play again like he's just that guy they pick him fourth round he's got great versatility he can play tackle or guard for them um they they relied pretty heavily on their shrine Bowl scouting too because we're going to get to another one but cordell vols in the fourth round i think will pay early dividends for a team that needed offensive line help is he going to start no he doesn't need to they went out and addressed that in free agency is he going to contribute early and often because of that versatility i i think he can round five pick 166 tyson anderson the safety from toledo who is an absolute missile gets to go learn under jesse bates i think he's going to push for playing time sooner than a lot of people may think he does based on his draft position pedigree where he played in college all that stuff they may they may tend to overlook him don't (laughs) he is a really good player he's super fast um good going forwards and backwards he is not just a hitter in the box very very gifted i think he'll play pretty quickly in the secondary last pick round seven 252 Jeffrey Gunter, the defensive end slash edge from Coastal Carolina, another Shrine Bowl player we got to see up close. I'm impressed with him. He's got more physical gifts. The only reason he was available in round seven is because this was a huge draft class with a lot of edge prospects. Normally Mm -hmm. a guy with Jeffrey Gunter's physical profile and production profile in college going no later than the fourth or fifth round. This year he lasted to the seventh and the Bengals are the beneficiaries.
1: When I look at this draft, I think it just gives me even more, I don't want to say confidence. Um, I, I i would say doubt that Jesse Bates is in the long-term plans because mm. as of recording this, uh, this is before the free agency deadline on Friday. This is a Wednesday. So I, maybe something happens before that deadline, but I mean, Rappaport just tweeted out a few hours ago that it's unlikely. And just, you know, taking in the gap between the franchise tag number and Minka's number at the top of the market, 18 million, like the franchise tag is 66% of what the top of the market is right now. So the Bengals, A, have no incentive to give him a ton of money because even the the raise on the franchise tag next year is still going to be 3 million under top of market not to mention they just drafted two guys. And so I, there's there's writing on the wall that they love Jesse as a player and Jesse's a great safety. I just I the way they drafted here makes me think that they're the replacement, not the compliment. And you know, Dax Hill can play safety, he can play nickel for them. He's a phenomenal player. You know, whether or not he's going to play over Mike Hilton in the slot, I I would I would lean towards no and i would i would probably think like dax would be either the third safety or you know god forbid bell or bates go down he can slide in and start and be totally fine but i think he's more of a 2023 pick than a 2022 pick same thing for tyson anderson he'll he'll make his money on special teams early but i think he's more of a 2023 2024 type pick than a 2022 pick they don't need safety right now But I think the only reason why they took a safety when they don't need one right now is because they're about to. So that's how I kind of interpreted that pick. Um, Cam Taylor-Britt, I'm right there with you. I thought that was a great pick uh, for them at corner on day two, where I still do think they need help at outside corner. Eli Apple was fine-ish, but nothing more than fine-ish. And I would like to see Cam Taylor-Britt give him some competition in camp for that starting spot because I do think he could push him for that. Um, Zach Carter, I, again, I thought that was a little bit of a reach. I'm right there with you. I was I was not as impressed with him as I was hoping for from from a defensive lineman from Florida. And my eye kept routinely going to no fewer than three other guys on that front every time I tried to watch him. So it was a little eh, on that pick, but I love the Volson pick. In round four, you know, very athletic tackle prospect. Just keep stacking depth. Keep stacking it over and over and over again. And, hey, worst-case scenario, you know, if he's pushing Jonah for a starting spot sooner rather than later. I mean, Jonah gave up 10 sacks last year. It's not like he's completely secure as a starter either. And I think Volson does have starting talent, just not starting polish at the moment. Uh, And as you mentioned, Jeffrey Gunter – Again, he doesn't need to be on the field right now because uh, Hendrickson and Hubbard are a really good duo. Um, and they got some other guys that I really, really were fans of coming out. Uh, Khaled Kareem, you and I both loved him so much coming out. And Gunter is just another one of these guys in the second and third wave. And you're getting him in the seventh round, which is a great, great value for him. I, I, that was two rounds later than I thought he would go. So overall, very enthusiastic about the draft. Other than the Carter pick, which I felt was pretty early for him, but um, I think they insulated themselves from having a hole at safety if and when Bates moves on, which, again, if it was me, if I was running the team, Bates would not move on. I would extend him, but I'm just kind of reading the tea leaves here. They insulated themselves from having a hole at safety. They improved their depth on the offensive and defensive lines. I'm totally
0: good with it. I thought it was a fantastic job. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Um, looking at UDFAs, I also thought they got some good values there.
1: Uh, in particular, again, yet another Wave 2 or Wave 3 edge guy that I think has a pretty decent chance to make the roster in Carson Wells.
2: Yeah. Again, they leaned heavily on the Shrine Bowl and man, do they love Coastal Carolina. The Bengals <laughs> love Coastal Carolina. They, they, drafted, do, don't they? <laughs> they drafted one guy from Coastal Carolina and they picked up two others who were quality playmakers. And one of them was a Shrine Bowl guy. And I'm really surprised he didn't get drafted. And that's Javon Hiley, the wide receiver. He he's underrated there isn't any other way to say it he's not super flashy he is super effective and he will play in the nfl whether or not it's for the bengals i'm shocked he wasn't drafted in the fifth in the sixth in the seventh he should have been drafted maybe even a little bit before that the fact he went undrafted is ridiculous the other guy that they get is a guy that i pinged you about in the middle of the night as is wont to happen in draft season And that's the running back, Shamari Jones, also from Coastal Carolina. And I sent you one particular clip from all 22, and I was like, look at this. Like, you're telling me that guy's not going to get drafted? Well, turns out he didn't get drafted, but he ends up in, in Cincinnati. Shamari Jones, really big back with great feet good speed runs more between the tackles than he does outside but he's nifty if you just look at him you might think he's a hammer he's more than that he had some great runs at coastal carolina so their staff is really well linked with the coastal carolina program for one reason or another but they pull three good players with gunter jones and hile out of that program two of them basically for free uh, Justin Rigg, the tight end out of Kentucky, big Rigg, I want to talk about him. He was another big guy that Rigg. I yeah, he's another guy that I sent to uh, our buddy Brad Spielberger in the middle of the night when I was scouting Kentucky offensive talent and actually Georgia defensive talent. I was looking at Kentucky versus Georgia, and Riggs had a couple plays three out of like three uh, three plays out of a four play series in between the 20s, very large target. He's six six, six seven something like that and he's not super mobile but he's uh, he's good in a short area and lots of people were talking about other tight ends in this draft that had a similar profile nobody was talking about rigs and i was like he's gonna end up in a camp guarantee it put this guy on your list nobody's talking about him uh cincinnati saw the same thing and he ends up on their roster ben brown interior offensive lineman from mississippi uh played some guards some center i think again like volson like if you told me that three years from now the bengals interior guard tandem was volson and ben brown i'd be like Sounds about right. Yeah, <laughs> They'd be no dollars. Pretty effective, um, depending on who was around him. Great pickup for no money. Uh, ben Brown didn't test super well, so it's one of the reasons he ended up there. But if you're going to skip on testing numbers, interior offensive linemen is one place where savvy, leverage, um, know-how, and just want to matters a little bit more than tape and time. So Carson Wells... Last player in the list, first one you mentioned, the edge out of Colorado. Showed some pop at the Shrine Bowl. Showed some explosion. Showed some versatility, ability to rush from different stances, different sides. Uh, A great pickup to sit, again, in that wave structure with Jeffrey Gunter and all the other guys behind their established starters and see if you got anything. If not, he's got great size for special teams. He's not slow. He's really aggressive. He'll work there. But I actually think he's got some upside as a situational rusher. So if you can grab that in UDFA, pure win.
1: In particular, I think the, the main two that I'm excited about are Shamari Jones and Carson Wells. Uh, Shamari, at absolute peak, watching him gave me some Devonta Freeman vibes. I, I want to stress, I'm not saying he's Devonta Freeman. If he was... He would have been drafted. But I think a lot of the highlights that you saw at Coastal Carolina, the cuts, the shiftiness, the you know, the the contact balance, it 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 did give me Devonta Freeman vibes. And I too was surprised that he at least didn't have a, a seventh round pick thrown at him. Just just to see what he's got. So that that was a great move by the Bengals to pick him up because even though they do have a whole bunch of running backs, they got Joe Mixon, they got Samaje Ryan, they got Chris Evans, who like came out of nowhere last year and was really good for them. Um, they even have Travion Williams, who I I still believe there's something there. Uh, like Shamari Jones, I, I thought had a has a decent shot of making the roster. Even in that backfield, um, he kind of gives them a little bit of something that they don't already have. Uh, and then Carson Wells, I also think has a somewhat decent shot. Uh, of making the roster he's gonna have to compete with Khaled Kareem and Wyatt Hubert and Jeff Gunter but I I think that he's kind of in a similar vein or a similar grade overall to Gunter and Hubert Um, Kareem I, I liked a little bit more coming out than those three but I think he could make it as like a sixth edge rusher so that's like Borderline on the roster, maybe on the practice squad, and if somebody gets hurt, they call him up. But i I think that he will be there for them in some capacity. Um, the question is, is he going to be the fifth edge, or is he going to be a practice squad guy? But I I do like him a lot. Uh, he was productive in the Pac twelve. You know, has really good hands. Not super explosive, but I think he's got some bend, and I think he um, I think he corners well, which is just as as much about technique as it is about hip flexibility. So I like him a lot. Um, I think he's got a shot. Uh, In terms of overall team floor, team ceiling, this is our last segment and the one that we close out every episode with. This is ceiling and wins and ceiling or and floor in wins. You know, what are the high highs and what are the low lows that we can expect? The range of outcomes that we can expect for the Bengals. I put them in the same tier that I did uh, for... The Bills, what, two weeks ago at this point? And that is 13 wins as a ceiling, which is, you know, first seed in the AFC, or at least fighting for the first seed in the AFC, potentially hosting the playoffs all all the way to the Super Bowl. As an absolute floor, and it would take an injury to Burrow, or it would take some sort of, like, apocalyptic, you know, injury run to their receiving core. I have them at nine as a floor. But I think going back a couple years ago, if you told Bengals fans that we were projecting their floor at nine wins when they took Joe Burrow, they would be ecstatic. Because for a while, for this franchise, nine wins was considered a great season. So a nine-win floor, but potentially a 13-win ceiling with like first seed in the AFC and going right back to the Super Bowl, I think Bengals fans would be stoked with that and... There's very few teams, not just in the AFC, but in the NFL at large that I would even feel comfortable favoring against the Bengals. There's like maybe three of them at most.
2: I ended up in the exact same place. 13 wins was my ceiling because they won 10 last year with an absolutely porous offensive line. They threw enough at the offensive line to fix it. And even if they have one injury, the line is still going to be worlds better than what they fielded last year. And what they fielded last year, I'm going to keep saying it, went to the Super Bowl. (laughs) So – there is no reason to predict regression when the only major flaw and they didn't lose anybody either. That offensive core is extremely young. They still have all three wide receivers. They still have their top-tier running back. They still have their all-world quarterback. Yeah, they lost Uzama. They brought in Hayden Hurst, who is more than capable at the same level. Is is he an improvement? I don't think so. Is he a is he a fall off from Azama? I really don't think so at all. I think they're very similar. So they didn't literally lose anything on offense and they buttress the offensive line. They're going to win a bunch of games. 13 is my ceiling. I said an eight win floor thinking more about worst case scenario injuries to the offensive line, having to rely on depth injury to burrow. He misses some time. I still think that's a pretty darn good floor because you're going to have a decent offensive line. You got mixing. You can fall back on that. If you have to switch quarterbacks for a few games, probably still grind out half the wins. This is a really talented team. It's a talented roster and it's a talented team. And those are two different things. We've seen plenty of talented rosters that were not good teams. This team exceeded their expectations last year. That is the sign of a good team. That is the sign of a team that can come together when it matters down the stretch and win games that maybe they quote unquote shouldn't. They certainly weren't favored against Kansas City. They managed to get it done. Was it super clean? No. Did they get it done? They did. So I can't see any real fall off for them. I can see an improvement pretty clearly and easily. There aren't many teams I feel really comfortable just tacking 13 wins on. That is a lot of wins in the NFL. And every win is hard to come by. This one, as long as Joe Burrow's upright and he has every reason
1: to be this year, I think 13 wins is completely reasonable as a ceiling. You mentioned they weren't favored against Kansas city. I think they would be favored against Kansas city right now. And I would favor them against mm-hmm. Kansas city right now today. If they had to play, um, I mentioned that there's like maybe three teams that I wouldn't favor them against. And like I said, it's a short list. It's the Rams because as far as I'm concerned, somebody's got to beat them. <laughs> and until somebody beats them, I'm, I'm they're by top team right now. Uh, Buffalo, because they're Buffalo, and Tampa, because Tom Brady's amazing and there's an incredible roster there. Other than that, I'm taking Cincy in every single matchup in the league. Every single one. I don't care if it's Baltimore, I don't care if it's Kansas City, Indianapolis, Philly, like throw any AFC West team there. I'm taking Cincy right now, today, based on what we know. And I I think that that's perfectly justifiable. And there's going to be a lot of AFC West fans that are like, ah, but you know, we we got this, we got this, we got that. It's like I, I get it. Again, coming off a of Super Bowl, Joe Burrow, elite quarterback, shitty offensive line last year, better offensive line this year. They got Every, everything else the same. Everything else the same. But there's no reason for me to think that this is a not that this is not a top four to five team in the NFL. No reason, and. We'll see how the season plays out, because obviously things can change. There's been a lot of moving parts. We're literally going over every single team in the league and trying to project them all. But based on what we know now, this is one of the four or five best teams in the league, inarguably. And they have a shot. They have a legit shot. And uh, I think Bengals fans should be happy about that. I think they're going to
2: be thrilled, and and not only this year, but for a long time. Duke Togan Duke. Tobin has shown the ability to build a roster and they have what every franchise in the NFL wants, which is a young and very capable, dangerous signal caller that if you get him into the playoffs, you have a shot every year. That is a, that is as big a window as you get in the NFL. And that window is a reality right now in Cincinnati. They saw that last year. They got the sort of, again, sort of bonus early Super Bowl trip and now it's going to become the expectation that gets tough in a whole different way but oh, if Seattle anybody... all
1: over again they went to the Super Bowl right immediately and then every single year after that it's like well why aren't you going again it's yeah. like well it's
2: fucking hard <laughs> Super Bowl or bust but yeah. if there was any quarterback in the NFL mentally they can handle that as a young quarterback it's Burrow so not just like I said last year not going to bet against joe burrow i said i wouldn't when he came out of college and i'm not going to start now
1: well with that being said we have one more day to go on afc north week tomorrow is the macro look at the division we're picking mvp of the afc north you know offensive defensive player of the year rookie of the year coach of the year all that kind of stuff you know again taking a more macro approach rather than team-by-team breakdowns. So if you're a Bengals fan, come back tomorrow for that because I'm sure we're going to be talking a lot about Cincinnati once again. And then uh, after that, we're moving on to the NFC North, and then we're heading out west to finish this series off. If you're just joining us, we have more episodes than I even thought possible leading up to this (laughs) one out already. So if you want to catch up on what every single team in the league has been doing, and of course all the other competition that Cincy's going to have to go through in the AFC because there's a lot of it, You can go back and watch those. It'll give you some nice entertainment leading up to the start of training camp and preseason. But uh, we'll be back here, same time, same place tomorrow. And until then, later. Take care.